0: good morning morning. all right there we go okay I'll be reading from first John chapter 2 verses 20 through 27 but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth I do not write to you because you do not know the truth but because you do know it and become and because no lie comes from the truth who is the liar it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ Such a person is antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him.
1: We're giving Jimmy a little bit of a break today. And so I'm filling in, but we're going to continue with our study through First John. It's a letter we call First John. And I have a few remarks I want to make that I think are necessary to understanding this passage, but I know some of y'all don't like this kind of stuff, so feel free to tune out for a second. Just zone out if you need to. Those of you who are still with me, I think it's important to know this to understand this passage. John wrote this letter to Christians after the church had been around for about 50 years. Even after 50 years, there were still people alive who had known Jesus, who had seen him, who had met him, who had talked with him. They had watched him perform miracles. They'd listened to his teaching. And John was one of those eyewitnesses. He explains all that in chapter one. But after about 50 years, some people were introducing some serious false doctrines into the church. And the primary false doctrine John deals with is the idea that Jesus could not have been divine. He could not have been God in the flesh. See, these false teachers deny the divinity of Jesus, and it's not so much because they don't like Jesus. It's because Jesus didn't fit their expectations of what God had to be. Greek philosophy contended that anything made of matter was bad evil. Anything made of spirit was good. Now, technically, that's called dualism. Matter is evil. Spirit is good. That was their presupposition. You understand about presuppositions? A presupposition is a conclusion we reached, we've accepted it, and we've never even investigated it. It's just part of our culture. It's our heritage. We never thought to question it. It's part of what we always knew. And unchallenged predispositions can get us in a lot of trouble. It did with these people. Based on what they expected God to be, Jesus didn't qualify to be God. Because he was flesh. He was made of matter. Now dualism like that sounds silly to us we'd just say to them, well, why can't God become flesh if he wants to, and they'd say, because. And we'd say, why not? And they'd say, just because. And and we'd say, well, I think you could, and they'd say, no, he can't. See, it was a fundamental underlying belief in their world that they took as a fact without question god is spirit and he can't be material well if you believe god has to be spirit and you know jesus was flesh well you have a problem what are you going to do with jesus and their solution was to either change their presupposition, which is extremely hard to do or to change their view of jesus and they chose to change their view of Jesus. People in the church were saying, you know, he's not God in the flesh. Cultural assumptions clashed head on with inspired proclamation. And like most people do, they stuck with their assumptions, their presuppositions, their expectations. And people were leaving the church because what they thought God had to be was different from what the church said he was. And so we have this letter that deals with that issue. Okay, if you tuned out for that stuff, please come back for a second. I have three goals for this sermon today. One is instruction. I hope to teach you something. A second is confession. I want to share with you where I am on my journey with some of this subject matter and, and where I hope to go. And my third goal is inspiration. I hope you leave here today renewed in your conviction that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he's the center of our faith. We've been singing, this is the season for a new anointing. Well, the sermon's entitled, The Reason for the New Anointing. What is the anointing John speaks of in this passage? Jeff just read it to us. What's the purpose of that anointing? What's he talking about? In verse 20 when he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. Or in verse 27, the anointing you received from him remains in you. Or he goes on to say in that verse, his anointing teaches you all things. And that anointing is real. It's not counterfeit. What is this anointing? What is it? Well, we can look at the characteristics in the verses and learn some things. For one thing, it's something that John's readers have received. John's writing to the church, people he calls dear children, and he says, you, dear children, have the anointing. That implies the anointings for all Christians. It's not limited to just certain ones, like the apostles or people they gave spiritual gifts to, or first century Christians only. This anointing is for every Christian. And the anointing comes from the Holy One. God gives it. People don't give it. You can't buy it. God gives it. And the anointing remains in those who receive it. It's ongoing. In other words, it's not a one-time spiritual high that falls on some believers and then fades away, never to be seen again. The anointing remains. And then the experience, the effect of the anointing is something that's real, it's not counterfeit. Now that suggests to me that line that there were some counterfeit anointings going around in John's day. And he's differentiating between what's real and what's counterfeit. See, there are counterfeit anointings, and there are real ones. So we see these characteristics. Whatever this anointing is, it's for all Christians, it comes from God, it remains in those who receive it, and it's real. Well, what does it do for us? Well, the verses tell us. Verse 20 suggests the anointing helps Christians to know the truth. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know that we all know the truth because we have this anointing. Verse twenty-seven he makes it or makes it even more clear: you do not need anyone to teach you. Why? Because you have the anointing. And then it goes on to say, His anointing teaches you about all things. The anointing teaches. The anointing teaches all Christians something. And because they've received it, they don't need further teaching. Now that bewilders the daylights out of me. It does. Is he saying, if we have the anointing, we don't need a teacher? Is he saying, if we have the anointing, we can know all things, we will know all things without ever being taught by another person? Well, I don't know any Christian who's experienced receiving that kind of knowledge from God. If we don't need to be taught, why did God give us the Bible? Why are we told to study, to show ourselves approved to God? Because we handle his word accurately. Why did he appoint pastors and teachers in his church? If he appointed teachers, if if the anointing teaches us all things, all things, why don't we know everything about everything? bewildered I have some questions so this anointing is something that all Christians experience it comes from God it stays with us it's different from counterfeits and it helps us to know the truth it teaches us so we don't need other teachers now when I compare that list to my own experience I fall way short. I'm nowhere near that. And that's why I'm bewildered. Well, maybe it will help if we look closely at the whole paragraph and analyze the situation John is addressing. The section of this letter we're dealing with starts back in verse 18. And he says this to them. Dear children, as he's talking to Christians, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, well, even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. See, the section begins with a warning about false teachers that he calls Antichrist. Anti means against. Christ is Greek for Messiah. These are the people who've left the church because they have rejected the divinity of Jesus. So maybe it would help if we knew a little bit more about the Antichrist. Fortunately, it's very seldom mentioned in Scripture. John's the only Bible writer to use the term Antichrist. And we can find out everything the Bible says about Antichrist in four verses. I think I can get them all on one slide. I hope you can read that. Here's everything scripture says about the Antichrist. This is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even even now many have come. What does that tell us? Well, there is such a thing as an Antichrist. And it tells us that there's more than one. John says many Antichrists have already come in his day. Later on in verse 22, he says, who's the liar? Who's telling the truth here? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He's the liar. Such a man is the Antichrist. Anyone who teaches Jesus is not Messiah is an Antichrist. See, it's more of a mindset than it is some terribly evil individual who's going to suddenly rise up one day and sweep away the world. It's a mindset. Chapter four and verse three, he says, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God, that's the spirit of the antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. See, in John's day, there were some people already teaching the same lie you can hear on the Discover channel, the History channel, the Science channel, anytime they have A Bible program about, or a program about the Bible, their message is Jesus was not divine. He was just a man. He wasn't God in the flesh. Oh, he was a good guy. He taught some good things. He might have even thought he was the Messiah. But all this talk about him being the Son of God is something the church invented centuries after the fact. You watch almost any program about the Bible on those channels, and that's the story they'll tell you. And John calls such teaching the spirit of the Antichrist. And in his second letter, 2 John, he emphasizes, again, the Antichrist is anyone who does not teach Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh. And he calls them deceivers and antichrist. Now, John's the only writer who uses that term. And you've just heard every verse that has that term in it. It's pretty clear that Antichrist or Christ, plural or singular, he uses it both ways, clearly describes a category of teachers who deny the divinity of Jesus. In John's day, just as today, some people were teaching Jesus Christ was just a man. Maybe he claimed to be the Messiah sent by God. Maybe he thought he was, but he really wasn't. And it's so important that we hold on to that point of faith, John says, you have an anointing and the purpose is to equip you to deal with that lie. When false teachers said Jesus is not from God, the anointing Christians had received assured them that he was. See, God doesn't deal with time um, in days months years or even centuries like we do he he works in stages stages of time ages jesus brought a new age we call it the christian age the bible also calls it the last days meaning it would be the last age there wouldn't be any other ages and john calls it the final hour it's not literally the last 60 minutes of time but he's saying at the end of the age in the christian age In this last hour, there are teachers saying Jesus isn't who you think he is. He's just a man. Antichrist said it in John's day. They say it in our day. And the anointing in some way defends against that lie. It's an internal witness that God gives those who accept his son. The anointing assures them and us of what the apostles taught about Jesus. And that's why he says, see to it that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you'll remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray about the divinity of Jesus. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it's taught you, remain in him. So when he says that the apostles' witnessed about Christ is true. He's an eyewitness. He saw him. The apostles touched him. He taught them. And they, with the help of the Holy Spirit, remembered all the things he ever taught them. And they wrote it down in Holy Scripture. So when he's saying, you know the truth, well, he's talking about the identity of Jesus. When he says, his anointing teaches you everything, I don't think I went too far there. His anointing teaches you everything. Well, what am I doing here? His anointing teaches you everything. It's teaching you everything about the anointing, of, about the divinity of Jesus. See to it that what you've heard in the beginning remains with you. What they hear in the beginning. Well, the disciples taught that Jesus was the the Savior of the world, John 3 and 16. They taught that he was the Messiah. He was the Messiah. They taught that he was the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world. They taught that he was God come in the flesh. They taught that he left heaven Emptied himself of divinity. Took on humanity. They taught that he lived a sinless life. Was tempted in all ways like we are, but without sin. When John says remain in the teaching you've heard, he's saying you remember those things. That's who Jesus is. The teaching you heard from the beginning. Don't let go of it. Kind of a bottom line here i think this passage is about the identity of jesus christ god knew that the world would challenge the claim that he is our savior he knew that a claim that he came from god he's the son of god would be attacked as early as the apostle john's day and it would continue throughout time and the identity of jesus is so vital to our faith that god does something special He gives us an anointing to assure us of who Jesus is. When science or philosophy or rewritten history argues Jesus was just a man, something inside us teams up with what we know about the Word of God and says, don't fall for it. It's a lie. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father. Whoever says, Jesus didn't come from God, is the Antichrist. Jesus is our way to the Father. And if we deny Him, we deny God. Please let me remind you that our hope of salvation is in the truth that God sent His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He wasn't just a man, He was a perfect man, He was more than a man. He was God in the flesh, and He's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven right now, pleading on our behalf. When you doubt that, listen for the anointing, listen for the Spirit to assure you. The divinity of Jesus is the core doctrine of Scripture. We sing a wonderful song Give me Jesus give me Jesus. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. When I'm alone, give me Jesus. When I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have the whole world, but give me Jesus. Let that be the theme song of your heart. You see, men don't save. Good works don't save. Good behavior won't save. Philosophy won't save. Acquiring more knowledge won't save. One thing saves. That's Jesus. Give me Jesus. Now here comes the confession part. And it has to do with presuppositions. Expectations about God to be precise. One of the things I have so enjoyed about Jimmy's teaching. Is his emphasis on a living God who is active in a spirit who's with us but I have to confess that doesn't fit fit my picture of God or of the spirit I grew up in a church where God wasn't allowed to act and I know we didn't expect him to I could tell by the way we prayed only thing we ever asked for was stuff we could provide for ourselves No, we didn't believe God did that stuff anymore. Occasionally, if we got desperate enough, we'd pray for the sick, but we really didn't expect him to do much then either. And if he did, we thought it was a special case. I grew up in a church where the Spirit had already spoken. And he put those words in the book. And if you want to know what he says, go read that book. A God who no longer acts. A spirit who no longer speaks. We never said it quite that plainly. But those were two of my unchallenged presuppositions, foundational truths that I didn't know to challenge. And when I knew to challenge them, it scared the living daylights out of me. But Jimmy has me challenging. I I don't know all the ways God works today or the ways the Spirit moves, but I know this. I, I know that God loves us and He desires everyone to be saved. I know the Spirit is in the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Romans 8 and 26 says that the Spirit intercedes for us when we pray. And if that's not enough, Romans 8 and 34 says Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us too. 1 Corinthians 12 and 7 says the Spirit gives different gifts to people in the church. They're different, but they're all designed to benefit the whole body. I know those things. And I know that none of them fit a picture of God who doesn't act. See, part of the problem is, I'm academically inclined. <laughs> I search for truth by study, by paying close attention to word definitions and grammar, by double-checking facts, by inspecting and dissecting things I hear and read. Hey, if I have to, I'll even diagram sentences. In searching for truth, I want to look under every rock, parse every verb, proof or disproof, every contention. And what I'm coming to see is that kind of mindset can have some drawbacks. Maybe I don't hear God speak or feel a strong sense of his presence like some of you do because my presuppositions about God won't let me. I'm right where those first century Christians were. Their God couldn't be flesh. Would they let him be? My God doesn't speak. The Spirit's already spoken. Is that really true? Is that what the Bible says? The presuppositions I accepted, God won't talk to me. God doesn't tell me things. The God I grew up with won't do that. And I'm coming to see that such an expectation of God is not only a hindrance to hearing him, it's not true at all it's not that he's not speaking it's that i'm not able to hear in my study of this passage this week it opened my eyes to a way god does speak to me and he does it with the anointing you see faith is hard to come by for me When people challenge the divinity of Christ and when supposed Bible scholars or supposedly unbiased TV specials cast doubt on the claims of Jesus, I find their arguments powerful intellectually. But every time my mind turns that direction, something inside of me, something beyond me says, don't listen to them. When the world causes me to doubt the story of Jesus, the anointing assures me. Words to this effect come to me. See to it that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you'll remain in the Son and in the Father, and this is what he promises, even eternal life. I realize as I studied this week that's the anointing. God's doing exactly what He said He would do for believers if we will only hear. And I'm recognizing that left brained, academically and kind folks like me may have some drawbacks. So I'm going to challenge the truth of my presuppositions, I'm going to listen for God. The Father can speak to me any way He wants to. I won't let my preconceived ideas hold Him back. I am His. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. He can do as He wills. So my confession is this, while I'm not one who claims to hear God speak, I'm through assuming that He doesn't. I just don't find that picture of God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Now, to those of you who do hear God speak, who aren't as hampered by your past or your training as I've been, those of you who have ears to hear what I do not hear, let me say this. I appreciate you. I respect you. I admire you. I accept you. And I ask you to accept this about me. I'm going to double-check everything you claim God told you. (laughs) Why? Why check? There are counterfeit anointings. Not every voice we hear in our head is from God. And the second reason I'll check is because John said too. First John four and one, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, we live in an age of doubt. Our modern world is falling under the influence of a new, unchallenged presupposition. And it's one that leaves divinity completely out of the picture. God, the Bible, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're just being dismissed. They're not disproved. They're just dismissed because they don't fit the picture. And we need the reassurance from God that empowers the sons of men to rise and shine and declare this is the day the Lord is made. That's the reason for the anointing. And for me, when issues become so complex, my academic mind can't keep up. I'm gonna fall back on the one truth that matters most. Give me Jesus. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. May God reassure us with the anointing as we sing together.